This podcast features explicit language and spoilers. Welcome to Better Late Than Never. This is a movie podcast where I invite some friends to watch a blockbuster, cult favorite, or otherwise culturally significant film that they've never seen before. After we watch the movie, my friends will decide that it was either better late, they've been missing out by not having seen the film, or never. The movie just didn't live up to the hype for them. My name's Dave, and I'm your host, and this week I am joined by regular guests, Eric and Emily, and we're going to be watching a movie that none of us has ever seen before, Say Anything, from 1989. Guys, welcome back to the show, and happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. It's great to be back. What a romantic season indeed. <laughs> How have you guys been? Just, you know, quarantining and mm. uh, getting through the winter here. Yeah, we'll make for the most romantic Valentine's Day ever. Nothing says romance like being locked in the house with your significant other for an entire year. <laughs> <laughs> well, you haven't killed each other yet. That's uh, a positive sign. Everyone is still alive. A couple of near misses, but everything is fine. <laughs> Yeah, I guess after this year, couples are really going to know that like they are they are in it for the long haul. They're going to make it. <laughs> yeah, this is a make or break uh, situation. This, this is one that's going to last right here. <laughs> well, cool. Uh, and it's good to have you back. It's been a while. Um, I guess, uh, you know, it being the season, I wanted to do something that was kind of like in the romantic-ish genre. And I think this movie counts, but I don't really know because I haven't seen this one either. (laughs) That was going to be one of my first comments. Apparently, this is a romantic movie. I had no idea. Yeah. Well, Emily, this uh, this one was kind of your suggestion, sort of. You kicked it out when we were brainstorming. Um, Do you want to go first in terms of what you're expecting on this movie? Sure. Um, So I'm mostly introduced to this movie uh, from the movie easy a which referenced a whole bunch of like romantic whatever's from the 80s and 90s um so all right my predictions i guess we're just starting there yep all right it's got john cusack in it yep i had that one too and that might be all there's one other thing i have as a prediction and that's it he he holds a boom box john cusack in the boom box that's (laughs) it (laughs) while wearing a trench coat i'm pretty sure yeah, I think I think it's brown, maybe the trench coat. Yeah. The other thing I'm pretty sure of is that this is going to teach people inappropriate lessons on how to pursue consensual relationships. Oh, oh my God. Okay. <laughs> See, 
I, I didn't have it as a thing I was sure of, but um, I wrote down, have, I don't know if you've ever seen the Onion headline, but um, I wrote it down as kind of my reference. Uh, area man arrested for engaging in romantic comedy behavior. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes, that is what I think this movie is. Yeah, because so like like you, all I really know about, well, if if we have the right movie, all I know about it really is uh, this is the one where John Cusack holds up a boom box outside someone's window. And I'm guessing it's like a, a last ditch romantic gesture of some kind. How that works, I don't know. Maybe it's like their song or something. But uh, it's a little stalkery, right? Yeah, I think I might know what the song is. Oh, yeah. I was going to say that. It's definitely a famous song. Yeah. But I have no idea what it is. Can I guess? Yeah, go for it. I think it's In Your Eyes. In Your Eyes, I am complete. Better, it's like Salisbury Hill. Like It's it's almost (laughs) certainly Peter Gabriel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, now that you say that, I think that's the song. I guess the, the, so part of my predictions is, I assume John Cusack's character is a dick. Yes. In some way. I think we all just said, kind of said that. And he deserves to have been broken up with. Yes. Like the reason he's holding the boombox is to get the girl back. And I guess the question I have is, does it work? Yes. I think, yes. I'm going to guess that it does because the scene, you know, I, I've seen that like thing copied in so many other movies. And so if it didn't work, then people wouldn't constantly be trying it. Mm, yeah. You know, so it, ha- it would have to be successful. Otherwise, it, you know, people wouldn't want to then do it themselves if it was a failure, right? Yeah. It does so. raise the question, though, what were all the things he tried before that? Yeah, maybe he used like a Walkman instead of a boombox. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he makes mixtapes. I also think there might be lists of stuff, but that might be so, a different movie. I ba- I well, I was going to say, okay. basically, are we saying that this movie is just High Fidelity? Yes. Mm. Wait, have you guys seen High Fidelity? Once. Yes. Yep. Because I'm feeling a certain amount of crossover in terms of our predictions, but I also feel like there might just be a lot of crossover with these two. They might wind up being very similar. So, yeah, I got some predictions along that direction, but okay, I guess... So if she does take him back, are we going to be happy for them? Are we going to think they deserve it? Are we going to think this is awful? I'm not going to be happy for this. Go ahead, Dave. I I think in the movie, it'll be geared that we're supposed to be happy about it. But if if it works in the meta sense, I don't know. Yeah, you know, just where like, if we're like, no, he's terrible. Oh, he sucks. But like, I think in the movie, we're supposed to like think that they're supposed to end up together. Okay. Because it just reminds me of like reality bites where like everyone's kind of a shithead to each other <laughs> and like, but it all kind of works out. And it's like, ah, oh, they're all just kind of shitheads. So like, whatever. Or you're the worst. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually have reality bites written down here. I think this is going to be full of early 90s on Wii like reality bites with a lot of navel gazing and that the female character is going to have basically no personal story arc. She's just there to shed light on John Cusack. She's just a prize. Yeah. She might even be a manic pixie dream girl, but that might have to wait till Garden State. Uh, Well, I mean, that character type did exist even before that, you know? So I'm totally feeling that prediction. Um, 
we keep talking about you know this girl character does do any of us have an idea on who might be playing her because we all, we all feel john cusack but who's the who's so the girl it would not surprise me if it was joan cusack ew <laughs> they're always in every movie together are know. they I, I every movie uh, uh, maybe i feel like every movie that john cusack is in his sister is in it She's not in American Sweethearts, but other than that, I agree with your premise. It's possible there are no movies together and it's just like stuck in my mind. No, there, she's definitely in Gross Point Blank, isn't she? She's like his secretary. Yeah, so that was my, actually my last prediction was that the lead is going to be a random female that I have never heard of or seen again. Although I suspect it might be someone from the early nineties that I should have been aware of, like maybe Taya Leone. Oh. Leone, Jesus, there's a there's a blast from the past. I can't picture her, but I know I should have known what she looked like in roughly this time frame. Um, I just remember she had a sitcom where it's like, "Hey, Taya Leone is in this," and I'm like, "I have never heard of this person because I was like 15." She had sitcom. Like, I I feel like she had this um, tendency to pop up on a lot of network stuff because I just feel like she was her name was always being said by network ad people, just like. Mm. And Taya Leone, you know, Taya yeah. Leone stars. Um, I was going to say, see, it being a nobody is interesting. I didn't consider that. But I, I was thinking maybe someone like uh, Molly Ringwald, mm. Ali Sheedy, you know, you know, like your female brat pack type. I would believe Ali Sheedy. I feel like I would know it if it was Molly Ringwald, because I feel like mm. all of the Ringwald ones, like are well-known, but Ali no, Sheedy is like under the radar. I have no idea who Ali Sheedy is. You don't know who Ali Sheedy is? I mean, I can look it up. She's on The Breakfast, in The Breakfast Club. Is that Molly Ringwald? Yeah, she's the one with the dark hair who's like, okay, I'm doing girl. her little dance. All right, yeah. Jelly Girl, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, so bringing that up actually, um, was this movie made by anybody? You know, is it like a random person or like, is this is this a John Hughes movie? Shaking it, you're shaking your head no emily it could it wouldn't it would surprise me a little bit just because like when i see all the like the montages of john hughes i think of like home alone and and all those things but like well it, it's no, possible, home alone's not john so. hughes that or yeah. wait he wrote that he wrote it but yeah he didn't direct it because no, his directed like, movies yeah i i just feel like the boombox thing feels very john hughesy i me. just I feel like it's like slightly post John Hughes because I'm putting it in the like reality bites category and like high fidelity, which like also feels post John Hughes. Oh, did Dave say it was 86? It's like- It's 89. 89. So this might be, okay. So John Hughes is very like 80s earnest. Yeah. Whereas this might have a more like starting to get into like 90s sarcastic. Yes. Like bitter. Okay. Hmm. All right. That's All what right. I think. But that raises like, you know, there's the big romantic gesture though, which is the only thing any of us seem to know about the movie. I actually, <laughs> I got a guess too, which is that um, John Cusack is going to, he is a radio DJ, mm. possibly for an underground radio station, you know, like a pirate radio station. Mm. I'm guessing that. That's not high fidelity. <laughs> 
No, no, he owes, he he works at the record store at High Fidelity. So, okay. are we going to think this is like a complete High Fidelity ripoff? It's a it's a time traveling High Fidelity ripoff. Wait, when did High Fidelity come out? <laughs> like ninety eight or something like that. Ninety eight, really? I also feel I like John John Cusack. I feel like doesn't age. Like I feel so, like yeah, John Cusack has a. Same. Paul Rudd thing going on. It's yeah, yeah, he, just, he changed his name to Paul Rudd just because, like, oh, this is going on too long. I got, I got to switch my persona here. Mm. All right. Well, um, will there be any music that we recognize? I think Peter Gabriel. Peter Gabriel. <laughs> I'm all in on Peter Gabriel. All right. All right. Well, okay. I, I think, I think my well is run dry in terms of what I'm expecting from this movie. I have a hope, which is that, um, you know, so I'm trying to be more open-minded and watch more movies that I otherwise wouldn't, which is why I, you know, targeted a romantic film. But my prejudices run very much towards the, this type of movie's boring side of things. And so I just really hope this movie isn't boring. So I think I wrote right here as a prediction, boring as fuck. <laughs> so back in, I'm going to say oh, 16 years ago, I had a couple of roommates who tried to get me to watch this movie. And I remember it being incredibly boring. I don't oh, know boy. if I was drunk or stoned or just didn't, or tired or just didn't give a shit, but I like, nope, didn't get anywhere. But now... I am the same age as they were then. So I think it's very possible that only old people like this movie. <laughs> and well, we now qualify. Yeah, oh, I, I think it's not going to have aged well. And I think it's going to be too long. Like, because this, so this is my memory of Gross Point Blank, which I just put all John Cusack movies together, which is that I really enjoyed it the first time I saw it. And then I went back to watch it again and realized it was like three hours long. And I was like, this is far too long. So I feel like this is going to be over an hour and a half. I feel like we're inching up on two, if not over two. Oh boy. Too long. Yeah. Me. I mean, if this, if this does have that like 90s sort of like acid streak where it's more like a Heather's, mm. it, I, I think it'll be good. But if this is more like syrupy sweet, then it it might be kind of a long ordeal. <laughs> oh, I have a question. Is yeah. this going to have a like narrator character or like direct address to the audience? That's what I wrote. I said, John Cusack will talk to the camera. Hmm. So it really just is high fidelity. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm going to go with no, because it can't just be high fidelity, right? Can't it? Why not? Mm. I mean, I think John Cusack had a string of movies that presumably were all duplicates of this movie, uh, presumably, and they were all kind of boring and not very good, I think, except, I mean, High Fidelity was good, but like, I didn't like it the first time I saw it because I was too young. I do believe that. So, yeah. All right. We are really excited about this movie, guys. Dude, why did we pick this movie? It seems like all of us are like terrified to watch it. It's like, this is going to suck. 
Yeah, that's exactly. I'm like, oh, say anything. Hmm. I think. Well, what, what the hell? Hopefully, well, we'll be wrong and it'll be a great movie. It, it, it's gonna be. It's Valentine's Day. It, it, yeah. it'll, 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 it'll be fine. It'll yeah. be fine. It's gonna be great. Like myself up. It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, all right. Last call for predictions or hopes before we watch this thing. Anyone got anything? Uh, Last right. chance to else. say anything. Oh. Nailed it. <laughs> All right. You've been holding that one in. I literally just thought of it right now. I swear to God. All right. Well, in that case, guys, let's make the most of this Valentine's Day and watch this presumably romantic movie. Watch it turn out to be like an incredibly violent action film. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? Um, Yeah, and so we will come back after we have seen Say Anything. Excellent. This is the part where we're watching the movie and now it's done. Okay, and now we're back and it's time to say anything we want about this film uh who wants to go first so i like how you did to say anything i don't know if it's a pun or what it was <laughs> um or what you'd call it but they did that several times in the movie did they, they say they said it at least twice i i honestly i reached the end and i couldn't even remember i was like did they ever even actually say say anything during the, father the movie says it when when he's trying to get her to tell him about the sex he's like you know you can say anything to me Oh. Or something like that. Maybe they're going to happen. I'm like, she said the name of the movie. I think I think I might just like forget half of this film or like have it it just like fell out of my head that quickly because spoiler alert for how I'm going to weigh in about this a little later. This was one of the most boring films I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh my god, Dave, we're gonna have such a disagreement. Oh no. Oh wow. Oh man. I thought I thought oh wow, that's something. And, and for what it's worth, our last episode or maybe two episodes ago, we did Gili. <laughs> Gili wasn't boring though. Gili was Gili was bad, but God bless it, it wasn't boring. <laughs> oh man. I don't even know how to respond. Like I didn't so I didn't not think it was boring. Like it's not an action movie. Right? Yeah. But like, it is. So, what I hadn't realized until it started was that it was a, a high school movie. Mm. That it was a teen. I, like, I thought it was a 20 somethings reality bite on we, you know, quarter life crisis thing. And like, as soon as I locked into it as a high school teen movie, I was like, wow, the first 20 minutes is Can't Hardly Wait. Yeah. And this part is where he's Heath Ledger from 10 Things I Hate About You. And like, there were so many things that are referential to later teen movies, like high school movies, that I was like, and it like, it's such an interesting, I don't know, I, I am I am fascinated by it academically. So I actually, I, I, did, yeah, I, I, I was also myself. surprised by that. So not a radio DJ then, <laughs> uh, John Cusack. Did no you, lists. As a high school movie, though, did you find that John Cusack looked uh, 18 going on 45 a little bit? No. And I think, yeah. Oh, yeah. 18 going on 45. Yes. That was, I think, why I thought it was a 20 somethings movie, because I'm pretty sure they were all in their 20s. Oh, 20s. I, I, 
I hope they were in their 20s. I mean, yes, he was in his 20s because I looked up the ages, but I was like, was he 37 when they made this? <laughs> been well, it's like the, the youngest I've ever seen him. So I was like, I guess yeah. this kind of works. But yeah, he, he, like when he was like playing the uncle, uh, when he was like acting like an uncle, he seemed a lot older than, than 19. Yeah. Or probably was. 18, yeah. But <laughs> Eric, Joan Cusack did show up. Yeah, nailed it. Yeah, you did. Nailed it. When I saw it, I was like, oh, holy shit. <laughs> Joan Cusack. I, Fortunately, I also not nailed... as a love interest. but. Oh, yeah. I also nailed that the lead would be a actress I have never seen before. Yeah, I got that down, too. She's nobody. Yeah. Uh, Ione Sky is her name. I had to sure. specially look up how to pronounce that as well. Because mm. um, it's spelled Ione. Ione Sky. Yeah, because I could be in like Ion Sky, then I'd be like, or is it Eon Sky? Then I'd go to Eon Flux, and <laughs> I, then I was just off the, I was off the reservation at that point. I I, I found I finally found a video of her saying it, so it's Ioni, but yeah, I I couldn't find anything else that she's really been in that was that notable. So, but she got to be in this, so good for you. Um, all right, well, I guess we're gonna disagree on. <laughs> A few things, but we'll get into it. So, well, wait, Eric, y- y- break the tie here. Where where are you landing? I'm much closer to you, David. <laughs> okay, <laughs> much closer. To you. It wasn't as boring as I thought it would be, but it was very boring. At the end, I was like, "So what happened?" I'm like, "Did the plane crash? What's the exciting thing that it's, happened?" It's actually a prequel to Final Destination. That's where I was going. I'm like, "We're all gonna die here." <laughs> Uh, I will admit, so I didn't watch the movie the whole way through. I, um, I, I, a friend came by and he was willing to watch the movie with me. And I was like, oh, cool. Let's watch it together. We got 20 minutes in and we're like, let's turn this bullshit off (laughs) and watch Nightmare on Elm Street 3 instead, uh, which was definitely the right call. Um, the next day I was like, all right, I'm going to take another crack at this watch say anything i got to minute 40 so it's very clearly 20 minute installments for what i could handle <laughs> of the film and it's like i'm taking another break <laughs> and then so you did like a five-part miniseries right and then after that i was you know i took a short break and after that i was finally able to make it to the end but definitely had to like work myself up to it but all right um so <laughs> All right. I also don't have a ton of like sides meta stuff for this, but I got a little bit. So we were right, guys. The boombox scene is in this movie. It is. And yeah. In your eyes. In your eyes. Yeah. Well, that's the thing I have about that, which is so it's considered one of the most famous and recognizable scenes in all of American cinema. It was very close to being set to a different song. And that song was Fishbone's Question of Life. I don't even know what that song is. I did not know what song it was either. If you would like to take a second to play it for yourself real quick, I can edit it out. Sure. Because let's just say it sets a completely different tone. What's it called? The band is Fishbone and the song is Question of Life. And I'll put uh, I'll put a link to it in the show notes so the audience can hear this wacky song. 
Can you hear it? Is this the right one? Is there like a hook that we should wait for? Not really. It's just, it's, it's completely different. So, so I feel like that's like, if, cause if, cause that's what was playing when they were having sex in the car. And the Peter if that song. came on, that would have been like, we had a playlist running and then it was on shuffle and some random thing on my playlist played. Which, this is the 80s, so that wouldn't make sense. But, like, some random thing came on. Whoops. Mixed but now it. it's part of our life forever. Uh, I mean... It's like the Lumberjack song. <laughs> There's an XKCD about that. <laughs> it's our song. It's our special song. I mean, it just... it The, the Peter Gabriel song is so, like sentimental you know if it's yeah. not but that song is like it's goofy like you know ska like <laughs> why don't you come outside and remember when we had sex and like, yeah. <laughs> and like so was that because there was like licensing issues with, or was cameron crow like all right i got the perfect song for this more of the second was like he was like um the, the second, I think the second song fits the scene a little better than this other one. All right, so I was wrong. It's not a John Hughes movie. It is a Cameron Crowe movie, which is kind of, sort of close. Not really. <laughs> like, because Cameron Crowe, I always think of it as like he's got really good soundtracks. Mm. And the the music basically, not that it carries the movie, but it'd be a very different movie without it. Well, I think of like, Almost famous. Um, oh yeah, probably the best example, and then Vanilla Sky. The only two I can think of. It's the music is part of the artistic expression rather than just like, and we wanted to make it not weirdly quiet, so we put some music on it. Yeah, well, like, it makes sense since he was a you know music journalist. Yeah. Um. Right. So uh, this was actually his directorial debut. He had written Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which I guess kind of explains my finding him similar to John Hughes a little bit. You can see the, um, I can see the lineage from John yeah. Hughes, right? So if John Hughes was one of the first to sort of take teenagers seriously, you can see that this is like a next step in that journey. Because while he took it seriously, you still had like, what's his name? Duck, somebody or other, the horrible, like oh, racist Asian character. Long Duck Dong. Long Duck Dong, right? And like, you still had like, you still had like that sort of like weird ribald, ribald like porgies, whatever, like happening at the same time as you were taking teens seriously. And I feel like this is that next step of like, yeah, we kind of got rid of most of that. And we're like, this is an actual like teenage story. And it's very sincere. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's earnest. It's so earnest. Uh, you might even say it's a little saccharine. I I wrote, how does everyone able to psychoanalyze themselves in real time? Because yeah. I felt like a lot of it was like exposition of like, psychologically, this is how I am feeling now. And we should communicate these things because like, I was like, everyone spoke like a therapist. Yeah. And it's so weird that like, I, I feel like that's both a Cameron Crowe thing and a John Cusack thing. Mm. And so having them together in this movie created like this perfect storm of like self-aware 
self-commentary by these two by this lead character um well let's uh speaking of which the uh we've got the cast so uh john cusack played lloyd dobler which is definitely a character name i had heard before and just never knew what it connected to i've never heard the name but it's like an excellent name yeah a great great name Definitely memorable because I knew once I heard it, I was like, oh, yeah, like maybe it was in like a Patton Oswalt bit or something. It was like, oh, take a look at Lloyd Dobler over here. And I was just <laughs> like, all right, so clearly that's some kind of property I just haven't seen before. Yeah. And he had the, like the suitcase, the, the, yeah, the suitcase next to his bed that said R. Dobler, which I assume was an army thing from his father. That was a mm. big leap I made. I just, I just saw that's how you spelled Dobler. I was oh, like, yeah, oh, that, for yeah. my notes. <laughs> Well, so he has this relationship that I could not figure out established at the beginning, which is he. So we meet his sister, Joan Cusack, who not only do they often appear in things together, but I feel like frequently do play brother and sister. Yep. Yep. And he lives with her, question mark? I think so. Yeah, I mean, so I picked this up. Uh, so their parents are his dad's in the military. Maybe his mom also. They're stationed overseas. He's staying with his sister to finish high school. Okay. Or he came back to be with his sister to finish high school. I think because she was with Tim, had the kid, then Tim left. And so, like, I don't know if he came over to be, like, moral support or if he was, like, just finishing high school. Because he definitely had a thing about how he'd been overseas for part of high school, then came back, and, like... Like, yeah, he had an off year. Like, I, yeah. I'm pretty sure he is 19 in the movie. He had an oh, off okay. year, and then came back to finish it, I think. Yeah. Okay. All right, yeah, I missed something in the dialogue there where I was like, what? I could not f- figure out what the actual relationship was, so... Uh, but, fortunately, it wasn't that big a deal. Um, all right. Ioni Sky was Diane Court, the valedictorian that everybody loves. But nobody knows. But nobody knows. Yeah. Well, after she goes to one party and they know you now. Um, It was weird because they they held her on a pedestal, but no one knew who she was. Like, was she a nerd? Was she popular? Was she hot? Was she not? Like, it was very confusing what her reputation was. She was a brain. Yeah. Yeah, just, yeah. It's one of these things where, like, it was clearly an adult's eye view of what high school kids are like. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with okay. that. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that one. Well, I mean, for one, like, it, it was a very much, they, they go to that party. Have you ever been to a an actual high school party that is actually like that? So have you ever been to an actual high school party that is anything like any high school party in any high school movie? So I can say I threw a party like that in high school. <laughs> I did not go to Eric's high school. <laughs> I th- All right. I, I went to, I've been to parties that actually like raged that hard, but I've never really been to them where there's always certain things that stand out as and I, you know, you can sort of like let go of it as the movie magic part, but like it's always sort of like there's some element of it where it's either organized too well, you know, it's sort of like oh, and over here is like the buffet table, and over here is like you know the like Rube Goldberg device that like serves you a drink, you know, or <laughs> everyone is way too nice to each other. You know, at that party, like, everybody was, like, friends. 
And I was like, uh-uh, like, well, there, are no bo- there are no social boundaries at this party. Well, I mean, yeah, I got the sense that it was some sort of, because they said it had happened for the last however many years. So I felt like it was kind of like the organized, like, all-night grad party I guess. at someone's house. Yeah, and that's but, like, where the yes. walls come down a little. The- well, when did the drinking age become 21? Good question. It was in the 80s. Yeah. Hmm. And they're in Seattle, so, but... I don't know. <laughs> were, yeah, I mean, were either of you thrown, by the way, by the fact that it's 1988 and they kept writing at 88 everywhere? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no. Why would I be thrown by that? Because it's a neo-Nazi thing. Oh, oh. wait. What? Oh, I didn't know you were talking. I, 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 no. No, so I missed that. It was just because it was an 89 movie. So I kept, I kept being like, that's weird. Oh, yeah. No, just like, you know, it's like written all over the place, especially during the party. And I just kept being like, it's just the year. <laughs> 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 it's not a Nazi party. <laughs> So, I mean, I think going back to your thing of everyone being nice was like, that was the most interesting thing about this movie or not the most interesting, but a very interesting thing. But like everyone was so nice, right? Like he was nice. She was nice. Like he was the, he was the key master, which was the keep everyone from driving drunk person. Yeah. Did that happen? That was very inspiring. Not at my high school. Right. I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, what? And everyone's like, yeah, the key master, we love you for keeping us safe. You're, right? like, you're yeah, our like responsible king. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was, I just kept getting thrown by it. And I like all through my notes, there's like, I have predictions of like, okay, and then that guy's going to die. Okay. That, then she's not going to go to college. Right. And like, none of it happened because like, they're all super nice. Yeah, no, when it, it reaches the end of the night. And he's like, oh, finally, I can have a beer now. And they're like, wait, there's one key left in the in the bag. bag. I thought they were going to find some like dead kid. (laughs) (laughs) No, he's fine. And they just have a nice overnight drive driving him home. But then he cracked a beer and he drove him home. I thought that was like, oh, yeah, you can drive on trouble. Yeah. Underscore. You can't actually do that. Just just so (laughs) I was being sarcastic. No, I mean, there was a scene where, like, very close after that, where the dad is, like, driving to work. And I was like, he's going to get T-boned. He's going to get T-boned at any moment. Because I was like, he's just in the car whistling. Yeah. And then he gets to work. We've... And that was it. No problems at all. Just well, there was a that nice scene morning. where I think she was, what's her name? Diane? Diane. Yeah, Diane was breaking up with Lloyd. And, like, he didn't make eye contact with the road the entire time. Watch the road, buddy. I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I have that Every down. show, any kind of scene that's like that, where they just look at the, look the person in the eyes, I get completely distracted from the actual scene. I'm like, they're going to die. They're going to die. They're going to die. This is awful. Oh, yeah. I don't know if it, you want to mention anyone else in the cast in particular. Um, Frazier's dad. Frazier's dad was in it. Frazier's and dad Lilith. was also. Was yeah. it Lilith? Oh, yeah. Lilith was there, too. So I have where's Frasier and where's Niles. Yeah, so so that means <laughs> Frasier and Niles is Diane's brothers. I think this is just the time when yeah. Frasier was in Boston. There you go. And Lilith must have been visiting Seattle for some reason, but she's yeah. also in Boston hanging out at Cheers. Um, but yeah, I'm still waiting for, yeah, because he doesn't move back to Seattle till like 92 or 94. Well, it may have been lilith before she went to boston because she was a guidance counselor in this and she's a psychologist in boston so it may be like her natural career progression she was like still in school here and then she's gonna move out or something also at the party by the way what yeah i didn't know if it was her house maybe that was weird that's super weird i still think the drinking age wasn't 21 i so it was no big deal 
Oh, the Drinking Between 21 thing was a Reagan thing, so yeah, I don't know yeah. when that all happened. Mm. I have written down that Fraser's dad telling you you're cool. I'm not really sure if that means you're cool or not, but like... <laughs> okay, can we talk about their relationship for a second? Oh, yes. I, I got a very, at least at first, it winds up maybe being kind of sort of nicer and healthier sort of kind of than I was initially getting, but I was getting like a really gross vibe off of them at first where like he gives her, he gives her a car and then he's like talking about how like you're the best and nobody deserves you. And like, you're the great. And then he gives her a ring. Yeah. What was that ring? He gives her an engagement ring. Basically. She wears it on her left hand. Yeah. So is that like a promise ring? Like that was that was something. It, it was like ring it, from his like, mom. It's like mom. those abstinence dads nowadays yeah. who are like taking those like creepy, disgusting pictures with their daughters, and I was just like, "Ew, what's going on here?" Yeah, Ooh. I definitely thought that they were maybe trying to play that like this was a really great, close, healthy relationship, and what I saw instead was like a parent who hasn't let their child form social bonds with their peer group and instead is like very reliant on a parental figure which like college will knock that right out of you and i know we all met folks in college who are like that but i don't i would not argue that it's the best way (laughs) to get through your teenage years yeah i mean i almost feel like they were sort of going for what you're describing where like they they wanted to play up the over you know the overly codependent nature of their relationship a little bit but it like it it started crossing the border into incestuous (laughs) yeah i there's no mother you know so it's uh, uh, i was like is he like misplacing these feelings under her like oh so the thing that i got was like it's definitely a, a movie about daddy issues because, like, you see her codependent relationship with her father that is then transferred to a codependent relationship with Lloyd, right? And that, like, I was like, Lloyd is replacing her father, literally. And you could imagine a time in which someone's like, yes, you leave the protection of your father to the marriage bed of your husband, right? Mm-hmm. And whatever, which is not the 80s, right? But, like, there was a thing that I was like, she needs to be a little bit more independent for a while. Like maybe just do her without needing a like father figure to like lean on all the time. I don't know. Go to college. Yeah. Well, yeah. she does go to college. That uh, was one of my predictions that I wrote in the me- movie that I failed at. Yeah, but, but she brings I was Lloyd she with. Wasn't go. Yeah, so. Lloyd goes with her and he's just going to ruin everything. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure. She, oh, definitely. She's going to meet like a cool British guy like six months in and dump his ass. Yeah. Yeah, and then he'll go on like a kickboxing tour of Europe, and it will be fine. Yeah. Oh my god, that's the scene where he got kicked in the face. <gasps> Oof. That kick, man. Yeah, dude. Was a that was a good one. Uh, <laughs> I was like, wow, good, good job, Cameron Crowe. And better yet, better really got kicked. I was just gonna say, since we're near that part of you know talking about him going to London, did anyone else see the similarities to that final scene with the graduate? Yes. I was like. Where have I seen this before? Wait, what's the final scene in The Graduate? Is that like in the They're like the on the bus and they're just like riding it, sitting next to each other. And you, they have this look on their face of like, so what's what's next? What now? Now we're here together doing this thing. Yeah. I... And like I had that same vibe of them just like sitting in the chairs being like, 
So now we're going to England together. It's my last note. Cool. Graduate. Oh, did I ruin the end? <laughs> well, uh, we'll get to it. <laughs> but uh, back at the beginning, I wanted to ask uh, again. He does give her this car, and I wanted to know it's a stick shift, right? Yeah. Can either of you drive stick? So, oh. yes, I can drive stick. The way I was taught was not a great way to teach someone, but I learned. It's not an interesting story. Um, oh. But I did teach Emily how to drive a stick shift. We were in France, and I'm like, you are going to learn to drive a stick shift. Mm. And I am proudly going to say that I did a much better job of teaching Emily how to drive a stick shift <laughs> than Lloyd taught Diane. I like, didn't hit any close. bushes. And I, yeah. You didn't hit any bushes. And it wasn't quite as violent in the back and forth situation. <laughs> On the Amazing Race, it often comes up that you have to drive a stick shift. So that's ever... why I taught her how to do it. Oh, you, you guys trying to get on me. get on the race? Yeah, that's part of our training. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. All right. Well, anyway, so <laughs> that's, that's our Amazing Race tangent. Um, <laughs> so we learn more about Lloyd. We get a reminder that it's the '80s because karate is in. Kick, no, it's kickboxing. Yeah, okay, it's kickboxing, whatever. To which I, I had the question of, do you actually wear shin pads when you kick a bag? Because I've never seen that. I thought you just kicked the bag. Maybe if you're a wimp, I guess. Okay. That I mean, you wear gloves good. when you punch a bag. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I don't know anything about kickboxing. It didn't really take off in the way Lloyd thought it would. Karate sort of did, though. There was like, all these like little karate dojos with the little, you know belt factories it's like daycare daycare plus was this before or after the movie kickboxer i don't know does it pre the real question is does it predate the karate kid i think Ooh. i think that karate kid came out in 88 i don't know because that it was like the what the queen's gambit was for chess that's what it was for karate dojos <laughs> yeah <laughs> lloyd works up the courage to ask her out and we get creepy dad again, where he's like screening her calls, kind of. And it, so he's like, listen, buddy, this is how things usually work when guys ask out my daughter. You leave your number and she'll decide if she wants to call. And it's like, okay. Uh, I thought it was really sweet. I remember when, like, your dad would answer the call from someone else and then be like, they'd write a note or, like, be like, hey, it's Joe on the phone. You want to talk to Joe? Like, I was like, what I wrote is like, oh, my God, phones. I remember that mm. <laughs> in this scene. <laughs> I will say I did kind of misunderstand it as him just basically being like, I'm going to hang this up and never think that, never remember that this conversation ever happened. But then she, yes. she does call him back, so I guess he did pass along the message, so fine. But see, that was my prediction of, oh, he's going to throw that out. And then again, everyone is super nice. Yeah. And like, so he, he gave it on. I, I mean, like, back before there were cell phones, you'd frequently get a call, take it from somebody else, and you'd take the message. Like, I mean, it's not being nice to take a message. It's being a dick not to take the message. Well, I think it, it plays back to what I was saying earlier about like John Hughes movies of like, that's the kind of drama that causes like the entire plot of like a job like oh, someone true. left a message and you didn't get it and then like we spend an hour and a half of movie trying to figure it out that's so true. like every time something like that happened i was like and this is the catalyst and then i was like nope and then he gave her the message <laughs> i'm gonna be a huge film snob for one second and just say in the next scene where she wins this fellowship which forms kind of like 
the basis for a lot of the drama, which is she gets this huge, important fellowship in England and she's going to, you know, she has to take it because it's like basically her whole future has been building to this and her whole future. It's the jumping on point for the rest of her future. So, like, she's got to go take this big England fellowship. Okay, it's and that's in a couple of months at the end of the summer. Big deal. But during the scene where the dad is telling her about it, there is a terrible edit. Did you guys see it? No. I don't think so. It's this awful, awful cut. And did you watch it? Like, did did you have it on DVD or did you stream it? I streamed it. Do you still have the rental? Yeah. Yeah. It might be worth just going back to watch this scene really quick. Uh, You don't have to do it now or anything, but um, if you get a chance just to check it, it's when you do a cut, what they... So in the scene, he's... The camera is focused on the dad and he's talking to her and it goes from a wide shot on him to a close up and then back to the wide shot. And when you do a cut like that, the sort of beginners, early beginner filmmaker 101 advice is that when you make such a cut, you change the angle of the camera a little bit. Because if you don't, the cut is kind of jarring. Hmm. And uh, so you can get away with doing something different if you're some kind of master, like, you know, Akira Kurosawa or Steven Spielberg or, you know, fucking Lars von Trier or some art director or something, right? (laughs) But if you're Cameron Crowe making your very first movie, you should probably just change the angle and do some of this basic stuff because I, I was watching it and I was like, oh, whoa. That was a terrible cut, like it, because you shouldn't notice cuts. Mm. It it took me out of the scene because it, it actually makes it like cuts in on him. He says the line and then it cuts back out and it like stands out as bad, or at least it did for me. So I was like, "Ugh." What the so this is like when here? they're in the kitchen, I guess. Yeah. Okay, we're watching the scene right now, which is like two minutes long. <clears throat> okay. We're not watching it. We're just like yeah. kind of looking at it while I'm listening to you. Okay. Yeah. It just, uh, no, it took me out of it. So it was just something I wanted to call out. So fuck you, Cameron Crow. <laughs> Lloyd asks out Diane. He, for a minute there, I thought this was going to wind up being one of those movies that, Emily, you predicted it might sort of be, which is at first she says no. Uh, she doesn't want to go out with him, and so I thought it was going to be the type of movie where the lesson is no doesn't mean no, no means try harder. Yeah. And, you know, it seemed like that, but it doesn't wind up being that kind of movie, so okay. It doesn't. Um, he shows up for the date. He's in the brown trench coat, so at least yeah. I got that. <laughs> with the white shoes. Yeah, well, you know, he's still got some things to learn. <clears throat> but he smooth talks dad so well. He says basically the key thing. It's that, sir, your daughter is safe with me. It's the important thing to say. Yeah, that was a good speech. He said it very, very fast, (laughs) which was really funny, I thought. Like, he was super nervous, but like... But the nervousness is charming because it means it made him non-threatening. Yeah, exactly. I, I can read from my notes here, which is nervous talking equals John Cusack. Yeah. Yeah. 
And he was like, I don't drink because I'm an athlete. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good story. Sure you are, buddy. Oh, uh, Emily, I have a note here. I I wrote down a few times when my friend spoke up about things and uh, the trench coat. I have, it's a bad look. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And then here's a note from myself. Uh, This must be the 20-minute mark because I have, this movie is really boring. We are stopping now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one thing I wanted to hit on before we go further is the speech, the valedictorian speech. Yeah. I think she cracked a joke, but I'm not sure. Yeah, we didn't get the it. The punchline was, there was something about like, I've seen the future and you need to go back. I think the joke is that um, the future is terrible and we're better off here. So it's like, I've seen the future. Go back. I I thought maybe Back to the Future had recently come out and it was like a reference. Oh, could that be it? I don't know. But is it, it's a bad joke, and is that the joke? That it's supposed to be a bad joke? I think so. <clears throat> Maybe it's a bad movie, guys. Yeah, because it was so bad because <laughs> she, like, practiced it in the car. I think she, like, it was, I was so confused because it was such a bad joke. She practiced it in the car. I think her father was like, that's a bad joke. No, he Maybe said it Emily was great. said that. No, oh. he said it was great. Or you said it was a bad I was, joke. Yeah, I was like, that's not a joke. <laughs> and then she did it again. I was like, huh. What, but it was very, what, like, I felt like that, so I felt like that in particular was developing that, like, wrapped in cotton relationship where like she just believes that her dad knows what's up right like she listens to him when he tells her that she's cool and she says anything to him um and he tells her jokes are funny and they're not because i don't even think they're dad jokes they're just not jokes (laughs) yeah like i had a good relationship with my parents but i never allowed it to cloud my judgment as to letting myself think that they could tell me what was cool in like when I was a teenager, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, when I was a teenager, we had, uh, I had a good relationship with my parents, you know, I liked them. They liked me, but I would never have taken their advice on what was cool or funny on anything. Would you? I mean, I went like dress shopping with my mom. Well, like, that's we definitely, different. That's I had like a good relationship that's spending quality time with your parents. That's like, and you know, that's just like asking like for an opinion on something. Not, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like you don't ask your parents what's cool; they just tell you. Yeah. And they're usually not right. They're like, they're like, what, you're wearing that. That 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 <laughs> looks pretty dorky, or something like that. Yeah, you're like, it's yeah, all right. Old. It's yeah. what it's what we're wearing now, right? It's what we're wearing these days. It's cool. I was going to say, so I may relate to this movie because in some ways I relate to Diane because I feel like I was like a brain and like, was I like super hip? Probably not. Like there were lots of people in high school who like didn't know me. There were lots who did, but like, I don't know. I related. I was a high achieving Did you just call me and Dave not very smart? (laughs) I did not mean to. You're just a couple of Lloyd Dobblers. (laughs) (laughs) But so, I mean, I thought it was interesting that, like, I associate this movie with John Cusack. And, like, I think the story was actually about her. Oh, I feel yeah. like she had more screen time than he did. Yeah. Well, okay. I, I was going to save this for later, but I think this probably is the a good point to bring this up. I think, Emily, you brought this up that you wondered if the movie would feature a manic pixie dream girl. I did bring that up. And it didn't, right? It did not. 
number one, I think it's interesting uh, that the term Manic Pixie Dream Girl was actually coined in an article that was discussing a different Cameron Crowe movie called Elizabethtown. Oh, interesting. Yeah, Nathan Rabin had this series called My Year of Flops where he reviewed flop (laughs) movies and uh, he noticed the kind of like elements of the manic pixie dream girl in the uh kirsten dunst character in elizabethtown and then he like compared it to uh natalie portman in garden state and stuff and he coined the term manic pixie dream girl in that article but um this movie i feel like almost flips that on its head because yes the appeal of lloyd here is that it's like this is like a a female gaze perfect guy in a way he's very sweet and supportive like when they ask him what are your dreams for the future he's like all i think about is spending time with diane and like he she likes that he pointed out the glass that she might step on he's like a gentleman throwing his cape over the water kind of stuff yeah and um I recently, I haven't seen the movie, but there were a few articles that came out that have been talking about this other film called Longshot. Do you guys know? I don't know it. Nope. The premise of that movie is that uh, it's about Charlize Theron plays a like political candidate running for president, and uh, Seth Rogen starts to date her, and yeah. it came in for some flack because people were like, why would smart successful intelligent gorgeous charlie's theron date schlubby nothing seth rogan it's just another male wish fulfillment fantasy but some articles recently came out that they that were like actually what the movie is about is that the reason why she likes him is that he is a person who is willing to basically completely sublimate his own needs to mm-hmm. supporting her he uh, he realizes that she is the incredible mm-hmm. one and he will do anything to be supportive of her and it's worth it to do anything to kind of like bask in the glow of her reflective glory basically <laughs> so it's like the the, the, the the appeal of the guy who's super supportive so i was kind of like lloyd is like this he's not a manic pixie dream girl he's kind of like the stoic reliable dream boy I say emo, stoic, dream boy. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's the boy who... So, like, you know, so, like, when boys want girls, they want this, like, eccentric, interesting, quirky girl who only exists to, like, validate their interests. And, like, James Cameron's perception of what a girl wants is a boy who maybe isn't very ambitious, but, like, will do anything to just, like, come along and be there to just always be there for them. Yeah. No, I think you're spot on. Right. And I later in this, I was sort of writing like it's it's kind of the reverse of what I was expecting. Right. Like, I think she has an emotional arc, journey, growth, something. Right. Like and he he has less of one. Right. Like, yeah, his journey is basically like, I want this. I got it. It was taken away. I got it back. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I thought there was a moment when it was going to like when he was gonna wake up, when he was like, do you need someone or do you need me? 
And then he's like, ah, fuck it. I don't care. Let's go. I'm going to England. Right. And I was like, that was, that was your moment of insight. That was his moment where he could have grown and changed. And instead he was like, ah, whatever. I'll be someone. <laughs> Cause clearly she just needed someone like clearly. But for him, it, it's basically like, does he like to him? It's, it's, his life is good enough to be that someone, you know, it's like, he just wants to like his idea of the perfect life is to be Diane's boyfriend, you know, like that's all I want to be. Cause Diane is great. Like all I want to be is around Diane. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. Yeah. It was, I did not see that plot coming. (laughs) I didn't until really late. Yeah, exactly. It was basically when he wrote her that letter, the, the, the little uh, post coital love letter. (laughs) <laughs> yeah but uh we, we haven't gotten to that part yet first um they go to that little house party they drive the guy home i got so bored. i didn't realize they were sorry like when she, he went to pick her up on a date i didn't know where they were going i'm like eight o'clock's kind of late to pick her up but whatever and then like he rolls, rolls up with his trench coat and those sneakers and she's like super well dressed way overdressed like, for that party like, right she's going to prom He's going to like Burger King. Yeah. Um, and it turned out, it ended up being appropriate because I didn't realize they were going to a party. Um, but yeah, I was very taken aback. I have one of them is dressed wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and we didn't know which. Right? Yeah. I think it was her. Just just to be clear, I'm pretty sure it was her. Yeah, once we got to the party, we knew. But <laughs> she kind of disses him by calling him basic see basic that was wonderful that was the best line of the movie but he I is basic. Realize, she, she basic like you're a great day and never went out with someone as basic as you i was like oh it didn't mean the same thing back then but it wasn't that much different no yeah she, she was concerned about it enough that she told her dad right then th- there was a point too where i wondered does are lloyd's only friends these three girls Yes. His, I think so, yeah. His only close friend. Because he says that later. He's like, I should hang out with more guys. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, I wish the girls were in more of the movie. Like, they were pretty funny. Yeah. Mm. And were there, there were just two of them, right? It was Court, oh, and Diane. Corey, and, and then Diane, one. yeah. Corey, the brunette, and Diane. Second date is dinner with her dad and some of his work friends. And that's basically my idea of hell on earth. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was like his accountant and someone else. Oh. Yeah, and it's all and a very skinny tie. All of it is like, so what are you gonna do now? Type questions, all for the aimless boy. Yeah, it's, I don't. Yeah. Even... It was just unfair. It's like, sure, this guy is aimless. You know, he's aimless the first time you say hi to him. Don't attack him. Yeah, <laughs> like that's just mean. It was very lacking of like any sort of adult tact to be like, maybe this is gonna be an awkward topic of conversation, and we should just be like, so how about those bears, right? Right. Like, like damn. <laughs> I don't even like those conversations now. And I like, <laughs> I, am, I am a middle-aged man. Oh God, am I a middle-aged man? Yes. Yes. Sorry. Shit. We're there, Dave. Fuck. <laughs> like you're a young middle-aged man. I've had the back problems of an old middle-aged man. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, uh, this is where I had to take my second break because this is the 40-minute mark. And then I came back and this is where the IRS shows up. And <laughs> to his dinner party. Things start getting kind of interesting. All right. Because, you know, it is a little weird that her dad, like, has a straight up 
jukebox in his house? Like a cool one? Also weird that he told everyone it cost $9,000. And like, I was like, why would you like, what? Yeah. It's like, oh, you know, how do you get something like this? Oh, you know, whatever. Just throw a shitload of money at it. It's like, all right. I, I but could... specifically, around $9,000. <laughs> that, that number came up later. I know. And I was like, this number doesn't mean anything. What? <laughs> I couldn't do the um, translation math of... Uh... $1989 to now dollars? Yeah, but what's the term for it? Uh, inflation. Inflation? Yeah, I, I, so yeah. I was like, is that a lot or a little? It's probably like 30 grand. Okay. I just thought it was a cool thing, but why do you have it? Are you rich? Why are the IRS at your house? And then it turns out he works at an old folks home. Have you guys ever been to an old folks home very much? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, me too. My mom actually, uh, my mom is a psychologist who works at them. So I spent a lot of time in and out of them. And um, I will say, I, like Lloyd, found it surprising to see that Diane worked at a nursing home. It's less surprising when it's the family business. I feel like it's like the like the show where they all work at the mortuary and stuff like that. Like, if that's what your dad does, maybe that's what you do too. Mm, okay. It does make what he's doing a little <laughs> grosser. <laughs> the embezzlement part or the the cocooning her part? The embezzlement part. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, although, she, so there's a line here where she accuses Lloyd of ageism, <laughs> which I think yeah. when this movie was made was supposed to be a joke, but now it's a real thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, that's that's super true. Yeah. Okay, so we get our big romance montage, finally. I wrote down that the movie feels like it's from 1955 at this point. Cause it's... It reminded me a lot of Ferris Bueller. Huh. Throughout. Same time frame. Like the way it was shot, the way John Cusack was acting. Well, I do think in terms of the way they look... There's, I, I wasn't thinking that at the time, but like I'm thinking about just like the visual palette of the two movies, and I feel like they look very similar. Even though this is in Seattle, Ferris Bueller's in Chicago, mm-hmm. they they kind of have kind of like a similar color scheme and a sim. Uh, I don't know, yeah, like kind of the way their um the camera is framing everything. They're both very suburban. Very wealthy yep. suburban white people kind of stuff going on. They... Maybe it's all stuff with the phone too, like where he's just like in the bathroom on the phone. It yeah. just reminds me of Ferris Bueller. Yeah. Obviously, it's very different. Well, you know, there's your John Hughes connection again. Have Have we gotten past the scene with her mom at the? Oh yeah, did you want diner? to mention mention mom? Yeah. So the only thing I was going to mention about that scene because you had asked a question about music at the beginning. Um, did anyone else notice that the song playing at the diner? was Brandy, you're a fine girl. <laughs> what a good life. No. Wife you would be. <laughs> Sorry. Ever since that was in that uh <laughs> The Guardians of the Galaxy like, movie. Guardians of the Galaxy too. It was yeah. so terribly used in that movie. Whenever I hear it, I'm like, and there's Brandy. Anyway. We get our Peter Gabriel song. Um, <laughs> you're shaking. Is it because this scene is so sickly sweet? Um uh. I, do, I, I frankly, I almost got type two diabetes from how grotesquely sweet <laughs> this was, yeah, sex that scene was. was. That wasn't that was in his car, right? With the bench seats. I think so. Yes, because her car. Yeah. Okay. Very rarely saw her car. Um, Probably because she couldn't drive it. <laughs> yeah. 
they have sex, and then she immediately goes home, and she's like, I fucked him, daddy. She yeah. attacked him. She attacked <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah, I, I wasn't going to do it, but then I did it anyway. What? It was so weird. What? I don't, Definitely look, weird. I... I'm not a girl who's had a relationship with a father, nor am I a father who's had a relationship with a daughter. I just think it's weird to it's have so that weird. conversation. I wouldn't want to. It's I so wouldn't weird. want to. <laughs> that was not a good conversation. <laughs> Maybe I'm the weird one. Maybe that makes me the weird guy. I can't imagine wanting to have that conversation with my daughter. I'd be more like, you know what, honey? Go to your room. <laughs> Don't ever talk to me about this ever. Not just what do you like, want for lunch today? <laughs> I'm no, lunch. No, you know what? I'm not making lunch. You go get yourself some pizza. I don't want to talk to you for a while. Like, just go, go away. Well, if it was followed up by like a safe sex conversation... Then I think it would have been very responsible parenting. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I thought it was pretty responsible parenting. Except, I mean, assuming the safe sex talk got, got cut from the movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see it being responsible parenting, but I agree there should have been the safe sex talk. But also, like, it, it just reinforced that, like, he's compu- completely, like, swaddling her from the world. And then I think the thing that I had the most problem was he clearly then started like using it against like he was like I am against this relationship and I am going to subtly undermine it and continue to do so. It's true. And I was like if if you have that sort of trusting relationship where your child shares something like that with you, you should absolutely never then act on it in a way that like undermines it. Like Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. No, he's says the person with no children. Cuz um <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you all how to parent. Well, I also in my in my scenario here, like I'm I, see he's a single parent. In my scenario, I was thinking more kind of like go talk to your mom. Like you know, is <laughs> is, is my answer to everything. But um, th- there was a point in this movie, like at so at the beginning, I was like, okay, the dad is clearly the bad guy of the movie. Then partway through, Wait, when did you figure that out? Oh, when the IRS happened. Well, or just sort of like you know, like I've seen plenty of these movies before. I'm like, he'll be oh, the obstacle. Right. Like, yeah. he's he's going to be the problem. But then partway through the movie, I was kind of like, oh, he doesn't really seem so bad. Yeah. You know, like, maybe he's okay. And then this part happened, and I'm like, oh, okay. He is sort of the – he is the problem. Yeah. You know? I, I just I, – I feel like I had trouble nailing down just how bad a guy he was up until the part where – it became clear that he really was embezzling money from old people. Yeah. Although I did, this is also probably around the point when, when he, he started saying dump Lloyd was when the puzzle pieces fell into place to me that I was like, he is stealing from the old people, but I, he was doing it for her. That's why he's so fixated on her taking the the fellowship because it's like he probably thinks I can keep this scam going just long enough to get her out of the country on this fellowship before it all falls apart kind of stuff. So yeah. it's like I did all this to provide for you and then I can just like push you over this last like hump and get you out of here to England and then it's all going to crash. So he should have he should have gone with her. 
the yeah. dad. You're like, hey, I'm going to go to England. Uh, you should meet me in two weeks. <laughs> Maybe. Like he, had all, like, he had at least 50 grand in that, in that drawer. He probably had a lot more. Like, he could have been good for a while. I feel like we have an extradition treaty. I mean, actually, he's only going to jail for like a year. Like, yeah, nine months. Yeah, it doesn't even work deal. out that bad for him, really. Deal. Yeah. He's out 100 grand. He's out a year. By yeah. the time she gets back from college. And did you see that prison, by the way? That, like, white-collar resort? <laughs> I think it's nicer than our house. He had... I noticed his hair was really, like, nicely coiffed in the prison. Oh, like, yeah. It was very fluffy. I was like, he lo- his hair looks better now that he's in prison. Oh, because he had all the product in it before? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I still think that, like... I still think that the theme of this movie is... I, so I didn't quite pick up what you were saying about, like, he's done all of this for her, and I... I still got this was his his character was really struggling with the idea that their father daughter relationship was going to change as she became an adult. Yeah. And that like that was the biggest challenge with Lloyd is that he was not a shithead. Right. And like he would protect her and he would like he Lloyd stepped right into all of like the dad things. And like I was like this guy is not prepared for that. And like he is really unhappy about it. See, that's that's what I kept thinking it could have been through the whole, most of the movie. At this part, I kind of just brief, and I think ultimately that is what it was. Just, this is just a part where I question if whether maybe it was more innocent than that, and he was just sort of like, she's gonna blow it because I've ha- I've been working this plan for eighteen years, and she's gonna blow it at the last second because she fell in love with this doofus kind of thing. You know. So so here's where I'm going to poke a hole in that. Okay. Because if it was all for her, they wouldn't have a $9,000 jukebox. Sure. And like all the crap that he bought for the house, right? Like there, like that is a line that he is feeding her and probably himself to make himself feel less shitty about stealing from old people slash also dead people because it sounds like he just took their money when they died. And so like... I think that is a very flimsy argument, and I don't think it was for her. I think there was, I think, I don't know. I don't know anyone who steals from old people, but, like, <laughs> uh, I feel like yeah. if you do that, there's something more more deep going on. Yeah, in the like, end, I think you're right. I just, um, especially because he, he is such a dick to Lloyd later. So, you know, uh, but I, I wondered. But, yeah, stealing, yeah, stealing from old people in nursing homes is kind of one of the scummier things you can do. Um, I've also just had a momentary thought of like, should we not be calling people like old people? Like, is there like like the elderly? Ages of like, something more respectful. Yeah. <laughs> My God, if there is, I don't know it yet. So you can write into the pod and let me know if we have a new term for that yet. But um, perfect. As of now, I'm not. I'm not aware of it. I think we established in part one that we're all old. So I think it's That's okay. True. We're not. We're not that old. Jesus Christ, Eric. We're not that old yet. <laughs> we all just age. I feel bad years. enough as it is. <laughs> I threw my back out to like a month ago, and I'm only just oh. getting over it. So that sucks. Yeah, it did. Um, all right. So she d- she dumps Lloyd. He doesn't watch the road, and uh, we have our our breakup section of the movie. Um, we get. Such a good part where it's raining out and he does like the classic John Cusack making a phone call in the rain yes. thing. Yes. Hold yeah. on, I wanna I wanna do it. So he's in he's at a payphone 
and he's he's not even in the pingy phone. He's standing outside of it so he can get all wet. And he's just he's like, nothing. I'm just driving around. She broke up with me. She gave me a pen. I gave her my heart, and she gave me a pen. It's like, oh yeah, the pen. I love the pen. I gave her my heart, and she gave me a pen. <laughs> so good. It was raining so hard. Oh, I'm like, why aren't you in the phone booth? God. You are so wet right now. It was that raining. was how he was feeling. You're gonna ruin your car. It was an external representation of his feelings. Oh, I. Okay. And I was like, how far away did he drive? And I was like, I bet he's like an hour and a half from his house right now. I'm like, oh, crap. How do I get home? I felt like the weird um, making a tape for Corey thing was just like the flimsiest. Like, like the director was like, this is where we should have him do direct exposition to the camera. But like people have done that in other movies. So instead, he's making a tape for his friend about it. And I was like. What is this voice yeah. memo? Does this count as talking to the camera? I think it does. 100% I so. does. I wrote that down. <laughs> I was like, yes. we never got the voiceover, but this was them trying to do that without actually doing that. And was, I see right through you, movie. <laughs> this is cheating. And I will yeah. not let you get away with it. Can you imagine her getting that tape and like sitting down to listen to it? Like that I didn't would be realize, so I weird. Was, I didn't know it was to Corey. I just like he's it's, making a tape for posterity. It for started with like, "Hey Corey, do something, something." Like it definitely was to to redhead singer girl. Like <laughs> I swore I'd never do this, but that oh fuck, hang on. <laughs> Over there is where we went on our first date to the mall. How trite, how cliche. Jesus Christ, write an emo song. <laughs> I did like the little interlude with the boys, which included Jeremy oh Piven. Yeah. Yes. Now, he looks really weird when he was young. Like, his head is massive. Yeah. I was like, wow, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I love that scene. That scene was, like, ridiculously. And, and there's another guy in it that I, like, was like, where have I seen him? Where have I seen him? I think he was in The Rock. I think he was like a soldier in The oh, Rock. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, I was having the same problem, and it was driving me bonkers. Oh, yeah. my God. I think you're right. The The <laughs> guy, the sort of else. like kind of lanky guy. And with like a squarish head. Square head. Probably yeah, from. the second one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the second one. Yep. The first one, I think, was the... Oh, no, that was Joe. That was Joe. I was it was Joe the one who sang at graduation? Oh, they sang The Greatest Love? He yeah. might have. Uh, so that guy, I thought, was the stoner from Clueless, which I understand is, like, far too far apart for movies, but I kept being oh, like... From Clu- I thought he said Days Confused at the time. Oh, I, I was like, nope, that is no. not the same guy. I thought he was the stoner from Clueless, but it I was like, I, I was like, there's, like, an entire decade between those two. That's definitely not uh, possible. That guy... I don't, he doesn't look like he was in Clueless, but he was in Ad Astra, which just came out. (laughs) (laughs) Well. So I thought the breakup was pretty sad. I was a little melancholy. I I was feeling bad for both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I didn't really care because like I said, I thought this movie was pretty boring, but uh, you know, whatever. (sighs) Um, 
<laughs> yeah, but that whole scene with Jeremy Piven, like every single one of them, just like ranting about women. I don't know. It was it was it was, it was, it was, it was a, mildly funny. Yeah, yeah. Especially it was little like the most American Pie type yeah. part of this movie that there was, I guess. Yeah. Little tiny bitches man kid was kind of funny. But then they had to go and ruin it with white boy rap, which I hate. Oh, that was yeah. Yeah. What? They were like they did like some beatboxing like. Like they were in the background while Joe was talking to him, and they did oh. some terrible little rap. He keeps calling her; she won't pick up. So we finally get the scene. Boombox. Boombox. And my God, Eric, it didn't work. It doesn't. Wait, what yeah. didn't work? The boombox. Boom she doesn't go running out. I was shocked. Me oh, too. Yeah, yeah. I was. It was just weird. It floored like, me. You're just weird stalker who left you eight voicemail or. Eight answering machine messages, um, very similar to Swingers, which is just like super weird, but everyone's listening to it. Yeah. And then he's just like standing outside your window, being a super weirdo. All of her neighbors are pissed. Yeah. Um, I gotta say, like, I was impressed with his ability to like hold the the scene. Like, I don't know how long the shot is, but. <clears throat> You know, the the camera zooms in on him for, like, I don't know, at least, like, 10 or 15 seconds. And that's sort of like, you know, he he's not saying anything. And I don't know if the music was necessarily even playing <laughs> when the scene's being shot. It might be silent and it's added sort of, like, in post. So, like, it's it's a lot. And it winds up in a close-up on his face, too. It's, it's a very hard thing to do to kind of, like, you know, you're very vulnerable, when you're doing that and you got to kind of like act against nothing. I, I was just sort of like impressed with John Cusack's acting in that scene. So I, I actually did do a little like Googling on this. Mm-hmm. And apparently the only, the only interesting thing I learned was apparently he did not want to do that scene. He thought they should put the boombox on top of the car and he should be like sitting on the hood or something like that. And like the director was like, no, you've got to do it. And like, he's like, I finally realized that if I did it with some like, anger and defiance as well as sadness we could like make it work but like can you imagine that scene with the boombox on the roof of the car and him sitting well like, he could have just like turned the speakers up on his car really loud he would be <laughs> Those are probably passive. louder than the boombox like if he wasn't holding the boombox he would be too passive yep. yeah you know it like yeah. he is sort of like by lifting the boombox himself he's making himself vulnerable yeah yeah yep well, I think I think his feedback was because like no one would realistically do that. Like I couldn't hold my hands above my head without a boombox for more than thirty seconds without getting uncomfortable, or maybe ten because I'm uncomfortable now. He's um, currently holding his hands above his head, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> but yeah, but with a boombox, like those boomboxes aren't light. There's probably eight like D batteries in there. Which oh, are but he's an athlete, Eric. Well, he well, his legs are athletes, <laughs> not his arms. Well, you punched if he punched too. If he was holding boxing. up with his legs, I'd be like, "All right," but his arms are probably probably hurting. But that'd be heavy for the entire like in your eyes, like a four minute song. Yeah, like that's true. I wouldn't want to do that for four minutes. That's a long. And it's gonna be loud. Like, yeah, that's loud. Maybe I, he was just I, waiting to see. Like once he sees, like he's just like holding it. But if he sees the shades start to go, he's like, "Oh," <laughs> like lifts yeah. it up. So was he there at, like sunset or sunrise or like? Cause it was. I thought it was dawn. Oh, oh, you thought it was, it was like, da- early morning. I thought it was morning. You thought it was night. I thought it was evening. I don't know. I, this like, because, which is weirder. I'm pretty sure Dawn is weirder. Wait, let Dawn me see. Maybe Wikipedia says. 
Because like you can see the sun behind him, I think. And okay, Wikipedia says it's dawn. Oh man, yeah, that's I'd super be, weird. That's so annoying for the neighbors. Yeah, well, you that's what I was thinking. <laughs> Yeah, because they're in Seattle. It's like June or July. Dawn is early. Yeah. Dawn is like probably 5 a.m. I don't know. In Boston, it'd be 5 a.m. <laughs> that might be the weirdest part of the whole thing, is that it was, he was there so early. I, uh, in Boston, I... people would have been screaming and throwing shit at him within like 10 <laughs> seconds. Yeah. I wrote, In Your Eyes is really a great song. Oh. <laughs> That's what my notes Hell say yeah. in that scene. It's true. I love Peter Gabriel. So... She gets a dose of real talk from the IRS. They're basically like, yo, your your dad is definitely guilty. I think that was the most interesting part of the movie. I want to know why $9,000 is a signal to that they're doing something illegal. I think there's a, my, my guess would be that there's a $10,000 tax threshold on things. Mm-hmm. And he's just okay. trying to invest in things that he can sell for the same amount of money later without holding a ton of cash. Because yeah, he can't keep right. it all in the bank. Makes sense. Yeah. If I was the embezzle, that's what I would do, but I've never thought about that before. <laughs> Clearly, you have thought about it before. <laughs> Good to know. Um, that's uh, some really nice uh, jukebox you got there behind you on the, uh, <laughs> on the Zoom call. Um, she finds a box full of cash in her house, so she knows now. He tries to weasel his way out of it, but she knows he's full of shit now, which is sad because, you know, they had such a great relationship her whole life and you know it must be shattering a lot of her illusions but you know dad's a weasel so she goes and reconciles with uh with lloyd and that's basically the end he decides that he's gonna go with her to england dad gets arrested and there's one like immediately yeah well they they do a deal his lawyer does a deal so. Yeah, but it was just like because like the timeline of when she was going to leave the country and when she was going to get arrested, I was like, wow, like he's he's in, he's there. Yeah, yeah. all in that sixteen weeks. Yeah. Which, by the way, wouldn't you just say I'm only here for four months? Why would you be like I'm only here for sixteen weeks? Yeah, I don't know. It was weird. Yeah, this script is ridiculous. <laughs> is another comment that I have written down. It sure was. <laughs> uh, but you know he he gets off not too bad. I mean you know I guess white collar crime whatever. So yeah, the, he gets slap on the wrist, but is spending some time in jail. Lloyd is the one who winds up visiting him at first. He does get a pretty good kiss off line, which is when the dad says that he's nothing but a distraction. He says, "I'm the distraction that's going with her to England, sir." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he hooks him up with the same pen that he got from her to write her what he got dumped because it was all the dad's idea to give him a pen in the first place. And he's like, you can write to her. My whole thought being like, yo, you can't just give an inmate a pen like that. I oh, had yeah. that thought too. It's going to make this a shiv and stab that guy standing by the fence. I thought she gave him the pen when she came in. Uh, I think it's Lloyd, but either yes, way. Is it Lloyd's pen? Well, I th- It's not hers to give. It was her dad's pen originally. She's like, He's like, give him this. I was pretty sure she gave him the pen, but well, I could be wrong. Whoever gives him, he gets a pen. Uh, she also yeah. decides to come in in the end and give him a nice hug. And then uh, well, it's, it's like, it's like, why is the pen part of the story? <laughs> I'm like, why are we talking about it? Why is it part of the story? It's because it, yeah, yeah. Like, why is there a pen here? I think it was only in the first part because they wanted it in this scene, and so they oh, had yeah. to like build it in earlier. But why is it in this scene? 
so that he could write to her. Like it's like an olive branch, but with ink. Okay. And it's a payoff for the earlier <laughs> pen yeah. runner this that's been established. This might have been a $9,000 like, pen. I think it was a pen with lock picks and like a poison dart in it. Like I think that's like straight up CIA pen. <laughs> like a Swiss army pen with like tons yeah. of stuff. Yeah, could She's be. breaking him out of jail. I feel like her, like Frazier's dad should have been like nicer at the end. Like, because he was clearly guilty. And, like, instead of being so aggro to everybody, he could have been a little bit nicer. Also, the scene where he was, like, about to ask that girl out, that cashier out, which is, like, super skeevy, but whatever. There seemed to be chemistry there. But then his things got declined, and then he was sitting in the bathtub. That, I thought, was very sad. Rough. Yeah. Yeah, Totally. I'm like, he's going to kill himself, and this movie's going to take quite a dark turn. Well, so I, that was the plot that I had constructed in my head is that somehow they have this close relationship and he dies in the summer, in this summer. And she's like, not going to go to college because she's upset about his death. And like, and so I, that's kind of the piece that I kept expecting. And then he come, Lloyd comes and like talks her into going to college and they, they part because he doesn't have many money to go to England. Like that was where I thought this was going was that like, she was going to fall into a depression. He was going to boot it out of her boot her out of it and like get her to do the right thing for herself even if she had to leave him behind oh. and that is not what this movie delivered that was also <laughs> a little bit why i thought maybe it was all for her because like when he's in the tub i thought maybe his thinking was like all i have to do is keep this going for like three more weeks yeah. and then like it doesn't matter what happens to me i just have to like hold it together for three more weeks you, you know that kind of thing yeah well and so she's afraid of flying so lloyd helps her on that final destination airplane and we get a last <laughs> shot that yes does very much ape the ending of the graduate and that's the end um, dun, dun. not not terrible but like i said very mild <laughs> i wouldn't recommend it to anybody well, all right, hang on. I have already recommended it to someone. Oh, really? <laughs> I was talking to my mom this morning, and I recommended it to her. <laughs> let me let me ask you this. So, say anything. This movie, it had a budget of $16 million. Do you guys want to guess how much money it made? 9000 Oh, I bet you didn't make it. I feel like it's one of those that was like a cult classic that like didn't make it big in the theaters but was popular later. I think it made a ton of money. I think it was probably like some like it was probably like can't hardly wait up. They can't hardly wait made a lot of money, but I assume it might have. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna say like eighty million. It made twenty one and a half million. So box office, right? Yeah. yeah. So not really successful. It is more of a more of the cult cult hit kind of film. Here's the. <laughs> Uh, Eric, you're going to hate this. So the Rotten Tomatoes critics love this movie. <laughs> it has a 98% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. Audiences give it an 85%, which still pretty good. is still pretty good. I thought this was going to have a huge gap. Like I, I was going to be like, all right, that's the critics, but the audiences is going to be like 60, right? No, 85 I, I, so I feel like Rotten Tomatoes of pre-internet movies is skewed because hmm. uh, I just see like really high numbers for them. I feel like because like a critic's going back to a movie that they like and rating it, and that's so it gets a high number. Like t- like no one's gonna go back and be like, oh, 
I mean, this is literally what we're doing right now. But like, I was gonna find some random movie and just shit all over it, um, and put it on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> that could be. That's fair. Uh, here's a couple of quick things uh, that have been said about it. So, on the pro side, uh, James Berardinelli, writing for Real Views, he liked the movie. He said it has smart, well-developed characters, believable situations and a solid emotional investment for us in the film's people and circumstances. And Ebert loved the film. He called it one of the best films of the year, a film that is really about something, that cares deeply about the issues it contains, and yet it also works wonderfully as a funny, warm-hearted, romantic comedy. I love you, Ro- <laughs> I love you, Ebert, but I, oh, okay. I had to, like, dig around for a negative review on this. I ultimately didn't really find a good one. Uh, there was just something mentioned on the Wikipedia page, which is that Variety didn't love the film. They wrote that it was a half-baked love story full of good intentions, but uneven in the telling. In 2002, Entertainment Weekly ranked Say Anything as the greatest modern movie romance. And it was ranked number 11 in Entertainment Weekly's list of the 50 best high school movies. In you should see Dave's face. <laughs> in 2002, it was number 11? Uh, no, the second list is uh, much later. Ah. Oh. So That's ridiculous. I, I'm pre- I can definitely name 10 movies that are better than it, that are high school movies, but... Yeah. I agree. What? I think that it is in the top, because uh, I do think it's better than a lot of, like, for me, than a lot of the John Hughes movies. It's, like, not on the level of, like, Clueless or, like, 10 Things I Hate About You, but it's, like, it's definitely better than a lot that's in the genre, right? Like, I I don't know. I think it's a, I think it's a strong entry into the high school movie pantheon. I would say it might be better than Clueless, not to directly attack what you said. <laughs> How dare you? I like, How I like dare Clueless. you? I have to watch that again. Gloves off. But like, Can't Hardly Wait's better. Like, American Pie 3 is probably better. <laughs> no. the, the, the VOD American Pies are more interesting. This movie was so boring. It was so <laughs> it boring. I had to stop it twice (laughs) and do other shit. I was, maybe it's because I came in with low expectations, but I was amused. I was entertained. I usually don't like, I think you all have heard this before. I don't do well with long movies and I like sat through the whole thing. Do you know how long this movie was? Like an hour and a half. Yeah, it was an hour hour and 40. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. but that's what's so amazing is I couldn't make it through in one (laughs) shot and it's only an hour and 40 minutes. I was like staring at the clock most time. Like, oh my god, how much is left? <laughs> is so? Is there all right? Is there a gender difference in the perception? Like, we only there, have three people. There could be, but like, but I, I I suspect it has more to do with my love of the high school movie genre than than a gender difference. But I it, I thought it was interesting, right? I thought it had funny moments. I thought it had like a storyline that wasn't about at the end of the day, like who am I going to prom with. Like, it was like, what do I do about the fact that my dad has embezzled 
<laughs> to support the lifestyle that I've lived and I I am leaving the country to pursue something that like I suspect she's going to get there and be like is this really what I wanted or is it what my dad wanted right like yeah um, and I, I I do kind of appreciate that in a way because it, it's almost like risk taking in its low stakes you know it's like mm-hmm. you know nothing it's not an action movie nothing blows up and it's like no one's an evil person in the movie there you know it's sort of like all kind of good regular people one or two of whom make mistakes in the film and one of whom clearly does bad stuff but like kind of maybe sort of with the best of intentions and you know like I, I respect the movie for trying to do that, but the the end result to me just wound up feeling so milk toast. It just, you know, we did the Notebook a little while ago, and I also felt that that movie was pretty boring. <laughs> yes, and it was over long, but um, I, I sort of feel like the highs of the Notebook were higher than yep. this one. The the romantic bits. And the funny bits and the interesting bits of the notebook were better than in this one. Whereas this one was just kind of like sort of a flat line. Other than, you know, the boombox bit I liked. But I wonder if I hadn't even had that built up so much over time as like a cultural reference point for myself. If I'd even have cared about that part so much. I mean, the Peter Gabriel song helps because that's awesome. But Yeah, you could have cut that entire scene and it would have made no difference on the the plot. It wouldn't make no difference yeah. to the plot. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I, I think there's something about that flatness that's part of what's interesting to me because yeah. it feels more authentic and mm-hmm. real yeah. in the way that I feel like teenage movies, high school movies, tend to have to make things more extreme, and and I feel like so it reminds me of a movie I didn't particularly like, which is Boyhood, right? But you know, it um, took twelve years to make. I do know that it took 12 years to make. Indeed, I have heard that. Um, But there is something about the flatness of it that I felt like lent authenticity, which then like led to more empathy of like, I could imagine myself in that situation because it is not hard to remember, you know, getting ready to go to college and like hanging out with friends and being like, "Eh, should I like are we going to see each other again? I don't really know. Like, do I care? I probably care. I, you know, right? Like, I just, I felt like that was, it was poignant because it wasn't extreme. Yeah, I I, I do feel that argument. And if there was something about it that I recommend, it's, it is that, you know, like that's that's what it's got going for it. And I, I do kind of respect that at the very least. I think maybe yeah. Cameron Crowe kind of got better at that. As he went on, because you look at something like um, Almost Famous, and that also is a movie where nothing too extreme happens in that. I mean, there are a few kind of like... It's just, out- it's just rock stars being rock stars. And there are, you know, like, you know, out there unusual things that a normal person would never experience because there's rock stars. But it's also like, it, it is like a, a regular life portrayal movie, but it kind of is a little more interesting and a little more exciting. You know, like the big moment in that is everybody um, on the bus singing Tiny Dancer Dancer. together. And somehow, though, that one, that just hit really hard for me. It hits harder. 
somehow in that so, movie. So I, I guess maybe he just like perfected his craft a little bit more after this is his first movie. So, you know, so I'm going to push back. Oh, I think this is better than that movie. I don't, you are like, out of your like, mind. You're objectively wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't like that movie. I, have you I, seen it? Is it like Pulp Fiction? Yeah. No, I have Where seen like, Almost Famous. you like saw half the trailer and didn't make any I sense? I have seen Almost Famous. And I think that the thing I always had is like, I get that this is like a story and it's emotional and things, but I was like, I don't have a touch point into it that I relate to in the way that I feel like I have a like, like this, this movie was more, I won't, I don't want to call it visceral because there was nothing that exciting, but it was more like, I feel that and I, I can remember, I mean, I, my father never embezzled, right? I, <laughs> I cannot remember that feeling. That you know. But like, <laughs> but like I, because I think it was just so like people at a high school in Seattle and not like rock stars on a plane. I was like, yeah, this is, this is life. And they're telling a story that, and they're, they're shining a light on a story that makes me think about it in an interesting way. So interestingly, almost famous as autobiographical. I, I do know that. Yeah. yeah. But I was, I was never like a 15 year old on a tour bus with rock stars or whatever he was. So like, <laughs> that's I, why you watch the movie. Can anybody understand what it's like? <laughs> like here's it to be an angsty high schooler who had an awkward breakup. I'm like, oh yeah, that's just like high school. I, I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> all right i think but i oh, think part cool. of what i appreciated was it was a story that he bothered to tell yeah. right and particularly given that it was a story about really about the woman right mm. and um i just that was it was into like i won't say that i was like emotionally invested or moved by this movie but i was really intellectually interested in it all right well, I think it's a good point then to ask our final question, which is if we think the movie is better late or never, for clarity's sake, if we have any new listeners out there, which I'm sure we do, uh, better late means that there's something critical about the film. It feels like it's a, an essential view somehow. It fills something in your movie watching bona fides that you hadn't had there before, whereas never... You feel like if you went the rest of your life with never having seen this movie, uh, that would be fine. You'd be okay without it. Eric, let's start with you this time. All right. So if I could say anything, it would be that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Dang. That, that's that's the best I got. That's my, that's the best part of my response. Drink. Um, <laughs> is that so like like always i'm glad i saw it so that i know more about this when the oscar montages happen and they show him holding the boom box mm. i'm like oh yeah that scene that was the best part of the movie but yeah what was the question again oh yeah better late than never so yeah never um n- not impressed it wasn't as boring as i thought because i thought it was gonna be pretty damn boring but it was pretty damn boring so yeah, it, didn't, it was just kind of meandering, not really much conflict. Yeah, it was, I mean, that's not true, but it was just like, yeah, yeah, that's my, that's my answer. Not that great. <laughs> all right, I'll go next. Uh, I'm going to say never two because this movie was absurdly boring. <laughs> Other than the boombox thing, there was nothing memorable about it. I'm sorry. I just, everything, Emily, that you've said about it, being subject matter that doesn't usually get to be in a movie is true and I respect that but I just 
I don't know if I'm going to remember very much about this movie come <laughs> three weeks from now. I, I think everyone knows the boombox thing, and everyone knows it already. So I think as a question about what's essential, you don't need this film. So I'm I'm going to say it's a never. <clears throat> All right. Last word. Yeah. Okay. So for me personally... This was better late. And I think it's because I love the genre. I think it's because I've watched a lot in this genre and it really filled in a piece for me. So I would say for someone who is a fan of this sort of like high school, you know, movie story, I think I think it is essential. I think it is a piece that that you don't see a lot. That being said, in the grand scheme of life, I'm not sure that I'd list many or any high school movies as um, essential must-see. So I think for the general populace, it's probably better never. Hmm. But for me, it was better late. Okay, right on. We've had responses (laughs) like that before. We can roll with that. (laughs) Well, that is our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you have a happy, fun, safe, and romantic Valentine's Day. If you would like to get in touch with the pod and let us know how we did and all the different ways that you disagree, feel free to email us at betterlatethaneverpod at gmail.com or tweet at us at betterlate underscore pod. You can also like, subscribe, leave a five-star review. You can comment. There's all sorts of cool stuff you can do for engagement. I don't even know what they all are, but I think all sorts of other podcasts describe at the end of their podcast. So just listen to them, take what they tell you to do, and just do it for me instead. And that would be really great and super helpful. The most important thing, though, is to just subscribe and keep downloading and listening. And make sure to come back and listen next time. So, Eric, Emily... Great to have you again. It's awesome to be here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. And we will see you next time, listeners. Bye.